Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Comedy Cellar Show here on Sirius Channel 99. We're here with uh, Kristen Montella and Dan Natterman, and Joe Mandy's here with us. And uh, we're expecting Mr. Jeff Ross. And uh, before I turn it over to Dan, we have to think do you, have, do you know what to ask Jeff Ross about? Well, wing it, baby. Okay, because <laughs> Jeff Ross is no ordinary guest. He's the, the roast master. Well, that he is, yeah. So I assume we'll talk about roasting. But we only have Joe for a few minutes because he has to. Uh, I, you said you had to clear out of here after you go on stage. Yeah, I got another set. Well, give him a good intro, Dan, and then... This is Joe Mandy, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Great. And, and uh, his name uh, is reminiscent of the song Mandy, because it's like, uh, Joe Mandy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's heard that before, but it never, never gets old. No, it doesn't. I love it. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, jo- Joe is a writer for... Uh, I got a text from Jeff. He's en route. Go ahead. <laughs> Joe was a writer for uh, something. Parks and Rec. Oh, he was Parks and Rec. Are yeah. you the genius behind the success of Aziz Ansari? I was. I'm one of the geniuses. Yeah. But uh, the, we, the new show. Yeah. Now I have to confess, I've never seen that uh, esteemed program. Uh-huh. But I know that it is beloved and considered to be a cut above the typical dreck, as my grandmother said. It's it's yeah, typical stuff it's on It's crazy. The, the feedback's been insane. Like, we keep waiting for the other shoe to drop because it's only been, like, positive reviews so far that I've seen. I've seen one negative. I had to, like, go out of my way because that's my personality. I was, like, Googling hard to find one negative review of the show. People love that show. Yeah. And... And uh, so, so explain. It's actually good because I haven't seen it. So, <laughs> Aziz's character is—is is it really Aziz? No, or, it's or like something a, you, you made up. Well, it's like a guy kind of based on Rob Hubel in the like mid two thousands, where uh, he Rob Hubel is a you know comedic comedic actor, but at the time he was making a lot of money just being in commercials. He was oh. like the inconsiderate cell phone man and stuff. Yeah. So it's like a oh, guy. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a, a commercial actor who's made good money, but, you know, that's all he's known for. So his character is just the guy who's been in the Go-Gurt commercial and he's trying to become a real actor. Did you did you have a, <laughs> did you have anything to do with the casting of that show? Uh, no, not really. Did you know Dan at the time that you were on? Dan who? Dan Natterman. You know, oh, like, isn't there a part on that show for Dan Natterman? <laughs> I mean, that's I kept texting Aziz like, "Where's Natterman at? He's in New well, York." No, um, no, um, does this every week and it annoys me every week. Well, <laughs> you know what? To... It'll annoy you right to the bank if, if one of these people. Listen, first of all, let me tell you something. Judd Apatow wrote a little thing for Dan Natterman. No, he didn't write it for Dan Natterman. He wrote a part and he called me up and said, "You want to?" He didn't call me up, but his person <laughs> called me up. He didn't write it for Dan Natterman. He wrote a part and called me up. Anyway, no, he, he, his, his cat, I don't think he wrote it with me in mind. I think he wrote it and then afterwards, like, "Who do we get?" Oh, Dan Natterman, maybe. All know. right, shut up, Dan. Yeah. So, and why do you think that he did that? Because when I had him in this seat, I said, "Judd, isn't there a part in one of your things for Dan Natterman?" Yeah. So now he's doing it. So. Well, I already did it. It taped on. Um, I know, but you're not complaining about that. So now I'm trying to hook you up with. Parks and Recreation. Oh, well, well, I mean, I'm just a co-producer, so I'm, I, not, I'm too low on the totem pole. Uh, to sh- I don't know for sure that that's why Judd put me in it, but it might have been. And if so, I thank you. Uh, it's not life-changing, but, uh, oh, well, it's oh not. God. And, you know. <laughs> Yet. All right, so let me ask you this. What, how do you become a writer on a situation comedy? What were you doing prior? I was here in New York doing stand-up, and they saw my stand-up, and uh, I had been writing a little bit for a sketch comedy show on Comedy Central, so I had... Which one? Uh, Kroll Show. I don't know that show. Kroll <laughs> Show? Yeah. Nick Kroll. It's a good show. Nick, Nick Kroll. I know Nick Kroll. Yeah. Nick yeah. Kroll, you know, his father is like a billionaire or something. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. His there's a whole. Well, you sound like Aziz. Wait, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, that was sort of Aziz. That was Aziz esque. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, there is a little Aziz He's, quality to you. So I like, could see that. Yeah. What, what, what nationality are you? I don't know. I think. Uh, are you um, adopted? No, I just like it's unclear what my mom's 
My, you know I'm mostly Russian Jew, but oh. there's other stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, I knew I liked and, you. anything. Anything not Jew in you? Yeah, my mom is uh, is essentially white trash. Like that's her genetic makeup. Oh. Yeah, oh, like, nice. like my daughter. Yeah. She converted oh, to Judaism. <laughs> oh, she did. Yeah. So to me, you look Hispanic. I know, I get that a lot. When I'm in New York, people assume I'm Puerto Rican. When I'm in L.A., people think I'm Armenian. Maybe that's why Kristen finds you attractive. Yeah, I, no, I don't think he's... He doesn't look Puerto Rican to me. Oh, I think, I guess you don't find him attractive. No, <laughs> no she was going to say that. Yeah, she she, say, ma- her, she married a Puerto Rican guy. Well, uh, no, yeah. I married a, a, a hybrid, a mixed Puerto Rican something. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Dan's right. Like, like certain things trump other things. It's like Obama's black, right? Definitely. Obama's black yeah. and your husband's Puerto Rican. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's just the okay. way it goes, Kristen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, yeah. I don't want to say your grandmother's right, but your grandmother's right. <laughs> Wait, so Par- Parson Rec's not still on the air, is it? No, it is no longer on the air. So what, what are you writing for now? Well, I wrote for Aziz's show, and right now I'm just chilling, doing some His, his uh, um, Netflix show? Yeah. Talk about good reviews. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, were we talking about Parson Rec? Parks and I, I, I generally, I don't listen to reviews. I have to see for myself, but uh, yes, the reviews <laughs> have been very positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was I talking heard about his about dad is getting... His dad should win an Emmy. His dad. That's the best actor on the show. It's crazy. Well, this just shows you what bullshit acting is. Totally. If Aziz's dad dad can do it. How do you know he's not talented, Dan? Yeah, but does he have any training? Zero training. Zero training. What does that have to do with anything? Anything that's that hard, you need a little bit of training. What training did Paul McCartney have? Great actor. Some people say natural talent. (laughs) They're Trump. Natural talent is the Puerto Rican of, you know, acting. It just trumps any kind of... Well, McCartney was in a band for several years, grinding it out in Hamburg with the band. But he wasn't terrible when he started in the yeah, band. He, I think he wrote When I'm 64 when he was like 15. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying Aziz's father is another is the Paul McCartney of acting. I'm just saying that... And I'll tell you who, our, our very own Esti Adoram, who's the person that, for those that don't know, that books the comedy seller, two of the comedians... Had a role in Judge Pilot. Did very, very well I indeed. heard she killed. Did very, very she well she, yeah, she, she was, played uh, a heckler. Yeah. She stole the scene in Trainwreck with her, like, one Leslie little Jones, thing. Leslie Jones, yeah. SD <laughs> is a character. SD should get yeah. more work. And, and God bless Judd for, for hiring SD. And now, uh, so, so what else? And Dan. And Dan, yeah. So, so Joe, where are you going at? No one doesn't like to hear that you're working at other clubs. I but only since want to talk about the refugees. That's my problem. I only want to <laughs> well, talk about the refugees. We'll get to the refugees, <laughs> and, but we'll try to relate it to comedy. And Donald Trump. We'll try to relate the refugees to comedy. I went comedy. to Trump Tower today. saw him there. I, I noticed you must not be a Muslim because I don't see any armband on you with no, an M on it. No, no, no. You, you saw him today? I saw him today. I saw the, his backside, yeah. No, you saw his, his the back of him, not his well, ass. Yeah. What was he like? What was he like? He was giving an interview to Fox News, and there was Secret Service everywhere in the lobby. It was crazy. So, so where's your spot? You said you're performing after you're performing. Uh, a bar in the Lower East Side called Cake Shop. This is this is a this is a good um, point of reference to explain to to people listening to this show. Comedians are desperate... Wait, wait, hold on a second. I'm going to make a prediction. No one's going to say something that is absolutely false. Go ahead. Comedians <laughs> are desperate for stage time. Yes, yeah, And true. even the most successful of them, someone who is a two hit shows credits to him, oh, working please. at the Comedy Cellar, sometimes they'll travel to another borough for a seven-minute unpaid spot during the week. Well, All- I'm compensating because I can't do multiple sets in Los Angeles. So when I'm in New York, I'll do like four or five shows just... Just to just to do it because I, I miss it. But nevertheless, it is just to, to people who are not comedians. Uh, I it think is you just, made a general statement that applies to some, but not all. Just shut up, Dan. In general, it's it's amazing to us how 
comedians value the time on the stage. It's quite different than other art forms. We talked about this before. Right. Musicians, you know, you you want to you want to practice your music. You sit in your room and you yeah, practice. Right, you don't right. you don't you don't go play for free. You know, I mean, I guess you might, but in general. That's no. a, that's your last priority. You can't really practice stand up unless you're on stage. Mirror. You can't like stand in a mirror. And that's right. Even Seinfeld has to come here when he needs an yeah. audience. Okay, Dan. Now what did I say? Dan? Dan cause well, Dan. I think you overstated the case when you said we're desperate for stage. Well, time. he just he picked the wrong word, but um, I was but you're quite listening. right that we can't do it at home alone. Well, so I know I, I I stand by the D word because no, but desperate sounds negative. It's not well, negative. No, no, it's it's that it really improves your craft to get out there and do as many stages as possible. Yearning? Are they yearning for hungry, stage? Hungry, hungry, hungry. Okay, hungry. I'll take Perfect hungry. Yeah. Okay. Well, thirsty. Uh, anyway, so this thirsty. this cake thirsty. shop. <laughs> it sounds like what we call what has been called in a term that has uh, been been the object of some controversy. Derision. Alternative. Comedy, I suppose that would be. Yeah, that that's a term that has been used and uh, and and been debated. Well, it's a venue that also has music, right? I yeah, mean, it's like a rock. There. It's like it's a, a grungy rock club. They do mm -hmm. comedy there so, sometimes. So what is alternative comedy? I don't really know. I mean, that's sort of the world I started in, but it's still stand up. I think there's more freedom to act. Do go beyond just stand, you know, beyond funny. Set up, a lot of set it. How much is to do with beards? There's a lot, a lot of, of beards. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the alternative of shaving. Yeah, there's it, a lot. A lot of those comics seem to have beards, and or they look like Joe Mandy. Right. Yeah. A lot of us. Who who uh, who, who straddles the the two universes of non-alternative and alternative? Well, I'll just comedy. say, like when I started the club, I performed at it was you know myself. Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, Aziz, Chelsea Peretti. You were around occasionally. What, what was this? Rafifi. You performed there. No, I there. never did. If I maybe did once. Yeah, I think I did upstairs. Was it called upstairs? At, uh, was, no, these I'm, alternative shows always have names. Like, right. you're the comedy seller. You come, it's the comedy seller. Right, every but show These other clubs, these name. shows have different names. Yeah. Like, uh, it'll be like upstairs at Eric's. Right, yeah. That was actually Yaz's <laughs> album in 1980-something. But but that sounds like it could be the name yeah, of totally. it. Totally, yeah. But it was like upstairs at something. Um, well, I think. There's like the, yeah. Or, or, or um... Count me out, or uh, that's not, it's just like meaningless phrases. So, yeah. so go through that list again. Mulaney, Kroll, okay, Aziz. No, so, 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 what were what for? What was Aziz like when you first saw him? Same, same. He had, same. He had shaggy hair, though. Yeah. Did you did you think immediately this guy's gonna be selling out the garden? I didn't necessarily think he was gonna sell out the garden, but he was very funny, and I knew he was on to. You thought he was destined things, destined yeah. for greatness? Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's. Uh, you can't predict that shit, Norm. Come on. Well, that, well, that's uh, what I was. That's what I was asking. I mean, in the, uh, people always say after the fact, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, but but generally speaking, you never predicted ahead of time. Yeah, well, I, with maybe some rare exception. I, I have said before that, um, as opposed to some other art forms, again, like comedians turn out to be geniuses only after you're looking back at them they're famous in retrospect like when you heard if you heard Stevie Wonder singing in a in a coffee shop before anybody you say holy shit that guy's a genius but it wasn't apparent to us that some of the people have hit it we knew they were funny but nobody called them geniuses at the time the only person i've ever heard called a genius before he hit it huge was Attell for whatever reason People recognized Attell even before the rest of the world did. But for, for the rest of the people who hit it big and are now considered geniuses, it, it's very much in retrospect. And I, I don't know how to explain that. I don't, I'm not saying they're not well, geniuses. You explain that by saying that, uh, that it's all uh, hooey. 
Well, is that that's one possible <laughs> explanation? Not all, not that or, they or, or, or greatly hooey. You know that, hooey. that 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 people are called geniuses because they've accomplished great things, and that if I hit it big tomorrow, all of a sudden everybody would say, "Oh, that Dan Adamant, wow, he's a genius." Um, but I'm no funnier than I was before anybody ever heard of. That's right. Well, I don't know. Can you be a genius in stand-up comedy, Dan? Well, that's another question. I do think Attel, as much as one can be a genius at stand-up, I think Attel's maxed it out. Who was your, uh, come, my girl called me, said, come on over, there's no one home. I went over, there was no one home. Well, that's uh, Ronnie Danger. Ronnie Danger. Is, is that genius? No. Uh, it's really <laughs> funny, though. It's funny, and his character is tremendous. Well, if it's not genius, then... Uh, <laughs> I just got then, that. Then, may, <laughs> then maybe, maybe uh, genius is not, what, is not the funniest thing to be. I think there's some, like, if you no, listen to be. Chappelle sometimes, when he comes down and he just goes on stage, I mean, I think when comics make connections that are, like, three degrees of separation or that, I mean, that's a kind of genius. Like, you wouldn't, you know. Who does that? Chappelle does Chappelle that. Chappelle does that. But well, what does our guest you know, Joe Mandy think of that question? I, I, I think people are often called geniuses after they die and people realize their body of work. It's very seldom. I mean, like, people refer to Louis as a genius. I mean, it's very seldom someone who's alive is called a genius. Yeah. And people are like, But do you think sincere. stand-up comedy is... Lends itself. It lends to. itself. Or, or do you... I mean, example, I remember being like, a you kid. Look at, you look at Crimes and Misdemeanor. You look at Zelig, which sure. I think is, is Woody Allen's most magnificent oeuvre. And, and you... I, I asked what? I don't know. Oeuvre, work, you know. <laughs> oh, that's what I mean? Okay. And, and can, can a stand-up comic be that brilliant... Did you see Zelig? Yeah, I love Zelig. Okay. Well, or Broadway joke. Danny Rose. Can a stand-up comic be that brilliant just doing jokes? Is the canvas broad enough? Uh, yeah. In your estimation. Wait, here's Ed Jeff Bird. Ross. Jeff Ed Ross Bird, probably right? want to chime in on this. Dan, you, you want to you recapitulate the... I'll uh, recapitulate. Let's tap out. I got to go, man. All right. Thank Great. you, Joe Mandy. Yeah, thank you, thank you for sitting in. And we wish yeah. you good luck and good luck at the cake oh, uh, factory or whatever it is. I don't wish him good luck at the cake factory. The cake shot. It's not any place but the cellar. I hope people don't. Yeah, but that's a Brooklyn alternative. We've got nothing to do with you. It, that's, uh, you know. That's Welcome. What, that's what Al Pacino thought about Benny Blanco in uh, uh, <laughs> Carlito's Way. <laughs> nice grab. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, look, I'll be honest. I am not a political comedian, really. But I do watch a lot of news on television. And I've noticed lately that President Obama looks very sad. You know, like he looks depressed. I feel like every morning when Obama wakes up, he goes to his bathroom mirror and says to himself, you know, no matter what I do, no matter what I try to accomplish, Will Smith's just gonna play me in my stupid movie, so. <laughs> What's the point? I don't know if you can tell from my glasses, but I am a Jewish person, thank you. Yeah, clap. You know, being Jewish, it's like anything. It, it has its pros and cons. It's not all glamour. <laughs> like, it does. It has its benefits. Like, for example, I'm going to win an Emmy at some point. I'm going to win an Emmy, and that's fine. I'm fine with that. But the downside is I'm never going to dunk a basketball. Or feel comfortable in a convertible ever. <laughs> or know what heaven feels like. Um, It's okay, don't worry about it. It doesn't exist, so seriously, don't worry about it. Uh, this is sort of the worst time of year for Jews. Oh, happy Hanukkah, by the way. Uh, it's a nice first night of Hanukkah. But the holiday season is rough for Jews. 
uh, because Hanukkah, I don't know if you know this, but Hanukkah it by itself is a very minor holiday, totally lame, and then that's exacerbated by the fact that everyone tries to put it on equal footing with Christmas, and like, that's a fair comparison. No, Christmas wins, hands down, a much better holiday. Like, do you guys know the story of Hanukkah? <laughs> Silence. Okay, uh, Hanukkah is a holiday where we remember the Maccabees. And the Maccabees were these Jews thousands of years ago who got locked inside the temple in downtown Jerusalem or whatever. <laughs> uh, couldn't get out. So they were forced to ration lamp oil for a week. The end. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's Hanukkah. Yeah. <laughs> so really, you want to compare that to Christmas? Wait, what's Christmas again? Oh, that's right. God's birthday party. It's a birthday party for Jesus. Are you kidding? That's amazing. That's like going to Oprah's birthday party. Think about it. It's the same principle. Everyone gets presents just for showing up. You're like, oh my God, thank you. You're so nice. Yeah, I'll read whatever books you tell me to. <laughs> Welcome, uh, Jeff Ross, uh, making his debut on our program, on our humble radio show slash podcast. Noam, I think, posed it initially, and I jumped in. Stand-up comedy, uh, does it lend itself to genius in the same way, for example, that music or cinema does? And we were talking about Woody Allen Zelig, we're talking about Broadway Danny Rose, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Can you be that brilliant just doing stand-up as Woody Allen was in, in writing and directing those movies? Is it the canvas rich enough? Absolutely. I think a lot of it has to do with the times. Sometimes the comedian fits the times. It's Essentially, that's a hit. A masterpiece is, you know... They needed the Sistine Chapel painted. They had the right guy at the right time. So, yeah, I think it's true. And sometimes it's inevitable. Like Guys like George Carlin say that all the things, the disappointments in his life led to him just becoming the best comedian because... Other stuff didn't work out. He just kept going back to the stage. So, yeah, I think it's possible. Well, all right. <laughs> Damn, that's <laughs> a, such a serious well, answer. I sat down for a wing, and he asked me about genius. Well, <laughs> well we happen to be in the middle of that conversation. <laughs> what, what, what was the question again, Dan? The, no, I'm saying, like... like <laughs> is the palette broad enough? It's a valid palette. question. It's a valid question. You know, a, like, to me, like, when I see crimes and misdemeanors, when I see Zelig... When I see, or, or, or to take another example, when I see uh, Django, which is one of my favorite films in recent times, it just seems like that's exhibiting greater genius than, than, than a stand-up set ever could. Well, you know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have trouble, rec started, I have trouble recognizing genius in stand-up comedy. Like, I can read a book and say, holy shit, all these characters and the way they come together. Or even sometimes I see an episode of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And the way he pulls it all together at the end with all the strands, and I'm tempted to think that's brilliance, you know? I mean, that's like, real formula. It, it's formula. Well, to me, it looks like uh, uh, it's brilliant, but it's not. It, it, there's it, a certain well, formula to television, all television. Part of what I what I tend to call genius, and it's an overused word, is something that I see somebody do, and I say, I could never get close to that. Like, how? Like I could just never, like, I cannot imagine coming up with the stuff that Larry David does. And that was problem, the problem with comedy is that everybody comes up with a good one from time to time, you know what I mean? So it's like, so, so it says every, like I can sit at the table with the comedians and from time to time, I will, I will say the funny thing, it happens. So then it's hard hmm. to view them as geniuses when maybe they're, as opposed to just, higher batting averages, right. you know? 
So it's it's a tough it's a tough thing. But clearly, uh, as maybe said, it's a more rudimentary art form. It's a little more pedestrian. People can kind of step into it. We're making film. Well, maybe now in the digital. When I went to film school, being film was very difficult to even shoot a short. Now you shoot it on your iPhone. There's apps. There's yeah. there's iMovie I, I on everyone's computer. It's much more. It's commonplace. Much more, much more accessible. And by the way, right before I said, I said there's one comic who I always remember being identified as a genius even before he became well-known. Who do you think that was? Um, Sherrod Small. <laughs> <laughs> You're a genius. Number two. <laughs> I could have never... <laughs> Paul McCure. No, it was... Uh, uh, um, David Tell. David Tell. Agreed. Right? And, and actually... My partner, my comedy partner. And David Tell actually kind of fits that description I'm saying because among when you watch David Tell you do kind of say to yourself how the f like where does that come from I, I can think of something funny to say I can never think of a tells things you know it's crazy uh, but a tell reads everything he's always reading and I think he just stays with the things he reads and they're just at the tip of his brain all the time and he's amazing his comedy is always new and always relevant it's even when he does like, uh, you tell me that you tell me what you're drinking, I'll tell you how the night ends or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're not stock lines. He won't let me set him up for stock lines. When we go on together at the end of the night here at the cellar, he won't, he won't even, I'll give him a layup. How was your Thanksgiving? And I know he's got the Thanksgiving job. He'll just go, come on, Jeff. And we'll go into the next <laughs> Well, not all our, I guess not all the listeners know what you guys do here sometimes at the cellar. Uh, I mean, so, so, so you guys go up together on the stage at the same time. Yeah, it started one at a time where he'd have a late spot and I, he would just bring me up. And we essentially uh, go on and perform as a team. Uh, we set each other up and we uh, talk to each other and we riff. And we bring up people from the audience and roast them and pay tribute to them. And it's a lot of fun. And he ups my game. He's so fast, never lets me win. He's amazing. That I will say, like his reaction time is... I've never seen anything like it. He doesn't miss a beat. Part of Dave. it is the fact that he goes to bed at like 9 in the morning. <laughs> so when I'm up there with him, it's like lunchtime for him. And I'm exhausted. So he's I'm, refreshed. Yeah, he's, he's ready. To, he hasn't even game. eaten dinner yet. So he, he's, he's an, out, uh, an anomaly. He's different. He's very, very different. If you ever get a chance to see Dave Attell live, I highly recommend it. Well, I think and as a, as a corollary... The best place to see him live, and I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting here, would probably be this place, the Comedy Cellar. I remember Jeff Ross. It, what I'm right the, here. What, what oh. you, what you, <laughs> did I pass away? I come, I come here to praise him. It was like a eulogy. What, what year did you start? Oh, boy. That's a great question. It's got to be uh, mid-90s. In the mid-90s. And you were one of the guys who was I, I'm always funny. You didn't have a long time where you like went up and, and ate it, right? You were you you did well pretty much from the beginning. I, relatively speaking, I was able to survive uh, tread water for half an hour and get through anything. Right, like we all know people have been doing it for like four or five years and still can't buy a laugh. Like, I don't right. know why they why they keep doing it. We don't. So Jeff Ross was always funny. Thank you. But then I remember, and he used to do the poems, and it's like, but then I, and he's open for my band in the Wah. Of course. That <laughs> but, was always fun, because I loved being the only comedian on a show. You like that? was that. always something I loved, is when I was, stood out from the other comedian. People so either. opening for the Wah band was good practice for later on, uh, you know, bringing out big bands and hosting stuff. It was and a and good, to, be, to work in slightly tougher rooms, right? right? But people either loved that or hated it, that gig. 
the, the comedians. Like the some people wa- loved it because right. of that the, exact the, reason. I, I don't want to but, digress too much, but I will tell you yeah, this. I don't like it. The, <laughs> well, I don't know how the wah is now, but back in the old days, the the a Saturday night set in the wah was the best uh, gauntlet of that sort, best test I can think of of separating the comedians who were truly funny from the ones who weren't. The really yeah. funny comedians, the John Stewart's, the Ray Romano's, the Jeff Rose, they always did well in the wah no matter what. And people who were mere mortals, they would always struggle in the yeah. wall. But yeah. if, it, if it had a certain critical mass of funniness, the audience, it would win the audience. It's a certain Darwinism in that it's not that we were funny or not. Like, if you killed at the Y, it meant that you were going to kill everywhere. That's it meant right. that you had a plan B or C or you could change your energy or work the crowd. It meant that you're a survivor. And all those guys had that. Like, in other words, they could, they could do anything. And, and also, it seemed to indicate a, a little bit broader, more universal appeal because... Tourists. Yeah, well, tourists and just people who would just be watching TV. They weren't comedy fans. And, you know, so it's yeah. like uh, jazz fans. Well, we'll when you're, jazz. you're performing for an audience that doesn't even know there's going to be a comedy show, that's right. the hardest challenge. They well, they, they com- knew, but... They, they, I don't think they know when I've... I've done it recently. That and, I don't know. And that. I don't think the audience know. They know when they get there and, and the MC says, but before we bring on the band, how about a little comedy? So I don't believe the audience knows. If they're regulars, then, I mean, a lot of those people came back. It helped me a lot that they had musicians behind me. That was another thing that was huge training for me, was being able to have the pianos or a rim shot or open my act up to the music a little bit. I was just learning with the poems. I would have your, you know, one of the guys on piano back me up or a guitar. And I didn't, I'm not a musically inclined guy, and that evolved into a big part of my act. So uh, I wrote a love poem, and I was hoping to get a volunteer from the audience. Somebody, you don't have to be good, but just somebody who can play a few chords, some background music, some romantic. Come up here, doll. I see you. I see you. Come up here, baby. Have a seat here at the piano. Sherry, who are you here with tonight? Uh, my boyfriend. Oh, well, you can go back to your seat. Thanks for coming up. <laughs> I'm only teasing. What do you do for a living? I'm a musician. You're a musician? <laughs> yeah. This might work out really well. It could. <laughs> I love your earrings. Thank you. I wish I kept everything I made in the summer camp. Thanks. <laughs> You're a good sport. You're a very good sport. Thank you. All right, we'll try this. You wanna? You wanna? We'll try this. It's a love okay. poem. What do you wanna hear? Oh, you're good. You gotta tell me when you give me. I understand how it works. a love poem. You ready? Do you have a high voice or a low voice? Do you care? You don't care. Okay. I just want you to be quiet and play piano. It's a love poem. What's your name? Sherry. Sherry. I'll take that as a yes. 
Give Sherry a round of applause, everybody. You can go back. I mean, it enables you to do an hour, an hour and a half when you can incorporate music and so on. And I learned that at that, those WA shows. Plus, they paid a little better than the comedy show, to be honest with you. Or anymore. not, they don't anymore. <laughs> not anymore. In, in the old days, uh, I would do it from time to time, and now John Mayer does it from time to time. Yeah. So, anyway, you, you, you trade it up. But anyway, so, but, so then, so I remember Jeff uh, being funny, and I, mean, I can't tell you how many times an old person has died. And I say, I say, trampled at a Who concert. <laughs> <laughs> when SD called me, SD called me, SD's mother was like, SD says, my mother died last night. And I, and I said, trampled at a Who concert. <laughs> I know she must have laughed. I used to have a joke where I say, uh, my aunt died. I called my cousin. He said, how'd she, she was 104. He said, how'd she die? I said, she was trampled at a Who concert. <laughs> Antique. <laughs> Antique. <laughs> but anyway, so what I'm getting, what I really want to get to, but when I first really, uh, just in my recollection, felt that Jeff Ross was kind of both something special and a, kind of a strategist in a way, and we never spoke about this, is when I heard that you were frequenting the Friars Club and had become close with Buddy Hackett. Yeah. Tell us about that. You know, uh, my parents used to listen to the, watch the Tonight Show. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to stay up, but I could sit at the top of the stairs where they couldn't see me, and I would hear Buddy Hackett's voice and Don Rickles' voice, and I got their rhythms, and I heard my parents laughing, and my parents didn't live much longer than that, actually. So it was a very vivid memory for me. And when I got a chance to go to the Friars Club, which is a private showbiz living, breathing museum and showroom and dining room and a gym and a steam room for comedians and artists. It was like, wow, here's a chance to hang with these people. My parents would have loved it. It's a way to just sort of connect with another generation of comedians that weren't kind of corny to a lot of people. Not to you. No, well, no. it was... Di I, I recognize that it was old-fashioned, but I love that. I was told that I was old-fashioned. Even when I was in college, my buddy said, you're like an old man, you're like... You know, I was always complaining about my, my back hurt, whatever, you know. <laughs> and I also bonded with the fact that, you know, you, you comedians were on the road. Dan knows you're by yourself. You come home to your empty apartment. It could get lonely. And the Friars Club was a place where there was five other guys just like that that you could complain with and eat a chicken salad sandwich. So who were, who were the famous guys that Greg were... Greg Simmons brought me in to play poker. Judy Gold was a member. Elon Gold was a member. And one day, I was going to play poker, and the elevator door uh, opened on the second floor. I had my one good blazer on that I got when I did Letterman, and Buddy Hackett waddled on the elevator. Oh, my God, Mr. Hackett, I'm such a fam. You were my parents' favorite. If they saw this, this would be... And he, he, he just shook my hand. He said, you know who hates farts the most? <laughs> Midgets. <laughs> and the elevator door opened, and he got off. And then I didn't see him again for months. I was roasting Steven Seagal. And that's where I finally met him for real and talked to him. And he, he like, heckled Milton Berle to get off my back during my first roast. And Buddy and I became, like, a very, very dear friends. These were Friars Club roasts. Friars Club roasts, not televised. Yeah, people don't know. The Friars Club has how many roasts a year? One year. One, usually one a year. One a year. And they're, and they're not ever televised or anything, right? Okay, they used to be. Occasionally, they, they televised on ESPN. Uh, a roast from the Super Bowl for Terry Bradshaw this past January. So occasionally they do it, but not always. It's not why they do it. And and they get great, like top level celebrities to be roasted. Oh, Friars roasts I've done: Kelsey Grammer, Matt Lauer, 
Donald Quentin, Trump. Quentin Tarantino, right? Tarantino. Well, you're, you're Trump's favorite comic, I was told. Somebody told me. Really? That. Oh. I don't know. Didn't somebody tell That's me that? faint praise. Wow. That's but a, you have a relationship with Donald Trump. I do. Yeah. Oh, well, you do? Yeah, I've, I've performed for him, and he's hired me, and I've, I've traveled with him and stuff. You just gave oh. Noam like the biggest boner ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, well, I and actually, I remember your first Letterman spot. So you, 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 I remember the blade, and you, you did a kick. Yeah. And you were, and you were kind of high energy on your first Letterman spot. When I did Letterman, April thirteenth, nineteen ninety five. Jesus Christ! And 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 it was it was higher energy than we had kind of seen from you on stage. I mean, everybody was taking. I never uh, performed. It was a huge spot. I asked. I did Letterman on a few hours, uh, essentially uh, one night's notice, and I had to fly in from L.A. I happened to be in L.A. for the first time. And as soon as I got there, they called and said, there's a cancellation. Do you want to do Letterman tomorrow? Oh, boy. I, I did two spots at two comedy clubs on the way to the airport, left my luggage at, the, at that little, uh, what is it? It's a Best Western across from the comedy okay. store. Just left it, got on a plane, flew all night, woke up, did Letterman. And, uh, they, you know, they, they go, what do you want? A, you want a microphone, you know, like you do in a comedy club, a mic and a mic stand. And to your point, I said, no, I want to do it however David Letterman does it. So oh. you put a lavalier mic on my... So oh. I didn't think ahead. There's no run-through or anything. That what do I do with my hands when people clap? I got so many applause breaks. I'm used to having the mic and whatever. You get Suddenly, I, I didn't know what to do, so I started punching and kicking. <laughs> oh, is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> and you can probably find it on YouTube if you want to see it's it. It's not. I can't well, find it 95 If anybody has it, post it. Yeah. April 13th, 1995. That's, I never knew that explanation. That makes perfect sense. It's yeah. like um, from time to time you see a musician who's used to playing guitar, and they call him up to sing, and it's always a little awkward. It is weird. You know? yeah. It is a little weird to, to not have the mic in your hand. It was freeing in a very interesting way for me. It beca I became a more, uh, I don't know, animated, energetic. Uh, I was in the moment. So, so Jeff, and then, so, and then you went from there. How did you get into the, to, to the roasts that made you kind of famous? What? Not that you're kind of famous. That the, it's the roasts yeah, that yeah. roasts were not the only thing that made you. Famous. You know, it's another interesting training period. Was downstairs here at the cellar. I would get better and better spots, but in the beginning, you go on very late. And the bathrooms here are very unique in that customers have to walk behind the first row across the room. And for whatever reason, late at night, I get bored with my act, and I would start picking people off as I went to the bathroom. <laughs> and I got better and better at making fun of hats and scarves and the way people walk and different things. Nothing I ever thought about in my stand-up at other clubs or anywhere else. Other clubs, if I got heckled, is like a common should, rapport with the audience, and you go back to your planned material. I, I should add, though, not only do the people in the audience, when they go to the bathroom, have to pass in front of the stage, the people that are sitting at the restaurant upstairs, for those of you who don't know, the right. comedy store, there's a restaurant upstairs. The comedy's downstairs. There's only one bathroom in the place, and that's in the comedy club. So you could be eating a meal here at the, at the Olive Tree Cafe. You have to go to the bathroom. You have to pass in front of a comedian. Right. You just came here for a meal. It really is yeah, like no, a, you didn't even know. Can, can it, I can I add to that that yeah. the the clientele in the olive tree, which is upstairs, is is totally it's like another universe yeah. than the comedy club. It could be like old Israeli yeah. people and a, a Egyptian guy doesn't speak any English, so it's, it's that's kind just of the comedian. Well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there's little kids that come through, and you're in the middle of a of a filthy bit about yeah. Four not, gypsy kids walk through at one in the morning. You're like, how could you not make a joke? <laughs> So that's literally how you started roasting? I believe it's when I awakened to it and realized that I could do that. I didn't call it roasting. I was doing it as a survival technique. My bits were becoming tighter and shorter to accommodate 
the room that I was playing in the most, where they fed me, where there was cute waitresses, where I could get on. I adapted to that room and to that environment. I wanted to do well, and that's how I could do well with my type of comedy. And eventually, uh, I got asked to do a golf tournament. Greg Fitzsimmons' dad, Bob Fitzsimmons, was a broadcaster here in New York, and they did a memorial golf tournament to him at the Friars Club every year. I didn't play golf. Greg asked me to do it as a favor, and I started making fun of uh, the guys at this uh, golf tournament. Freddie Roman and Stewie Stone in the audience, just a fat cats who played golf and drank all day, and I threw a couple of jokes out in, in the middle of my act. Nothing happened. About a month or two later, Jean-Pierre Trebeau, the executive director of the Friars Club, called me up and said, we saw you at the golf tournament. Would you like to do the Friars Club roast this year? And what? I couldn't understand. They wanted me to roast Steven Seagal. And I said, well, I don't Like, you couldn't look up on YouTube the roast the way you can right. now. I had to go to the Museum of Broadcasting and watch well, like Dean, Dean Martin and this stuff to get a feel for what it even was. And I saw the affection, and I thought, I don't care about Steven Seagal, but who else is going to be there? Milton Berle, Henny Youngman, Buddy Hackett. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Wow, okay. So I just started writing and writing and writing and writing. It was so exciting, and that was it. That was my Yankee Stadium. I walked out there and... How is No, I'm Not jumped more on the on how, Donald Trump, by Wait, the way. wait, wait. How, oh. I'm, 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 it's in the back And how did... That coincide with the res- resuscitation of, of network TV or you know. Great question. I was very adamant that uh, this was should not be a lost art form. Yeah. Roasting at that time was like saying uh, fencing. It was old fashioned. It you was were, like, you, like old, They couldn't get anyone to do the friars roast. Like a lot of people, the cooler comics wouldn't do it. The guys in their prime said no because it was they had a. a, a uh, an outcry, uh, you know, uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson did a blackface bit, and it didn't go well, and people protested, and we got a lot of bad press. So the following year, they called a couple of new guys like me, right. and a, I remember and, that. And then the other ones didn't really do well, but I came out. It was like 2,000 people at the Hilton. I said, a lot of you don't know me. I looked at Steven Seagal. I said, a lot of you don't know me, but I feel uniquely qualified to be here today because I'm also a shitty actor. (laughs) And Steven Seagal didn't really, but everyone else was laughing. And I thought, wow, this is a way to write jokes, special material. I got bored of doing the same act like a stand-up every time. But, like, to tell me on October 3rd, you have five minutes about this, like, that was a mission I could wake up and write. I love that. So how do they wind up? Uh, at so I got frustrated after doing a couple of these and nobody saw them. Right. Except these old rich guys. I was like, this is crazy. I'm too good at this. Old rich Jews. But go ahead. It was everyone. <laughs> a lot of businessmen, politicians, Italian, the police commissioners would come. Boxers would come. It was a cool scene. And eventually my buddy started coming and going, getting into it a little bit. They got curious because they'd read page six the next day and they'd see I'd had like five jokes quoted. They go, whoa, we're not getting this on the alternative comedy scene downtown. That's right. And I said, this is the ultimate alternative comedy. This is flipping it upside down. I'm up there wearing a suit with Henny Youngman. I was 30. He was 90. So that com- that came to Comedy Central's attention? I did that. You did that. I, I called, after doing a couple of the Friars roasts, I became more involved in membership and young Friars issues, and that got me on the board of the Friars Club, and I was very into that. 
And I called Drew Carey, who I had done some work for, writing work for. And what year is this? 96 or 7. Probably 97. And his manager, Rick Messina. And I also called Comedy Central, who I had done some things for. Not a lot, but had a good relationship. Had like a small development deal and was trying out things, you know. Uh, And I called um, the Friars Club. And I put it, I didn't know what a producer was then. I just wanted to get on the show. So I gave it all away. I gave it all to the people at the Friars Club who were in charge then, or the Barose, and and I just let it all, it was like making a match, and I didn't really want anything other than a spot on the show. And I learned later that maybe I shouldn't have done it quite that, but I was a good friar. I wanted to be um, a team player. And in many ways, it's been fabulous. And they did a five-year deal, and they did like four Friars Club roasts on TV, and eventually I had a falling out with people, and I, took, I didn't do a couple. And, but I was always proud of it, and I, I slowly but surely, joke by joke, built up a reputation where I was able to go back a couple years later and become a producer on the show and so on. So you're responsible for, in, 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 in large part, for the current rebirth and renaissance of roasts. I think so. Uh, I, I believe it too, but yeah. I, I didn't. We never really talked about it. That's yeah. quite an accomplishment. Yeah, I'm into it. And, and you know what's even greater, Noam, is I'm going to South Africa next week to do a roast, and they do them in India, original roast. They do them in Mexico. I get invited. I get mail. I get stopped. It's an international movement. They do roast battles all over the country that I'm going to be producing. That's fantastic. They're doing. Yeah. It's it's like. It's kind of unbelievable. What what does that tell you about the shallowness of calling things old-fashioned or not having the proper respect? I had this argument with Norton one time. He was disparaging, I don't know, Sinatra, I think it was. I'm like, dude, you know, aren't you nervous, like, from your perch in 2015, deciding that everybody that came before, like, 1980 was second-rate talent, like, you know, and that he's sending his old-fashioned, whatever it is, and, it, and that's kind of, I thought, um, a shortcoming of him and, and the comedians were telling you that you were old-fashioned because, actually, they're just, in a way, shallow, right? They're just trying to be trendy or they're defining things in terms... But, but talent is talent and funny. I mean, it, it stays forever. It's timeless. when it, If it's the real thing, it should be timeless. I did a benefit the other night at the Waldorf, and uh, John Fogarty was the headliner. Letterman was on the show, and Michael J. Fox, and Dennis Lee. And all the comics were great. I mean, it was really amazing to see David Letterman. But at the end, right after me, was John Fogarty. Who's a hero of mine, by the way. And played ten hits and got the fuck off. And I go, in my head, who now is going to have ten hits... 40 years from now, yeah. that all these people could get up and go crazy and just go... He blew the roof off the well, grand These ballroom. are big hits. Proud you, Mary, you know, uh, Who'll Stop the Rain. Uh, no, uh, it works both ways. Come so around the bend. Sometimes there is a over-glorification of the past. Um, there, this wasn't glorification. This no, was actual people dancing, no, going I'm, berserk. I'm just saying that Noam <laughs> said that people disparage that which came before. Sometimes I think they... Uh, they glorify that which came before. People talk, for example, about the original SNL cast in a way that I think is exaggerated Well, in know, terms of the, uh, the, uh, how the good they were. Um, and classic rock. People always say music was so much better, and, and maybe it was. 
But certainly nobody's saying that music was worse in the 70s Nobody and 60s. Nobody's saying that. I think that. it's what I started the whole talk today was about timing. That SNL cast filled a void of counterculture comedy that didn't exist as Milton Berle was growing old. John Belushi stepped in as Sid Caesar was retiring. Dan Aykroyd appeared and did live sketch comedy. And that is a masterpiece. That's genius to me. But can I, I Dan, just, those guys have a pretty big body of work, the original. So, but, I just, no, I'm saying you, you're saying people disparage the old fashioned, and I'm sometimes saying that, that I, I'm not, I don't think across the board people disparage the old fashioned. I think with, you know, in terms of rock and roll, people glorify well, I, that I, which came before it, and poo poo kind of the newer stuff. Maybe it's not the old fashioned thing, but there is the what's hip and trendy. I mean, hip and trendy almost by definition lasts a short while and like I remember when I was a kid which was I just remember that the Jackson 5 and Michael Jackson were considered like trite and corny as were the Bee Gees you know and I remember I was, I was like well no actually I think they're pretty good you know but I was this was a time when disco was supposed to suck and the Jackson 5 was supposed to be teeny you know uh, bumblegum music but here we are in 2015 and and who are the two of the hugest names still ever are, and they're no longer considered, even Barry Manilow, who was considered like the, the ultimate laughing stock, is now kind of respected in a way that he wasn't in his own time. I think longevity, uh, I don't know how you guys feel, but standing the test of time is worth something creatively. Being able to reinvent, stay relevant, you know, it makes me miss Joan Rivers. Her comedy was fresh, even yeah. in her 80s. There's a lot of comedians who were in 50 who their comedy is not fresh. And it's unbelievable. That's such Just existing says so much, I think. Kristen, you want, I'm sorry. You're trying no, to get it's okay. In. I, just, um, I had a question as to why do you think, because to me the roast seems like one of the more natural forms of comedy. I mean, you sit at the comedian table. It's nothing but comedians roasting each other. And, you know, there's... Um, Yo mama stuff goes back forever. I mean, why do you why do you think that it hasn't broken mainstream more quickly or at, at a well, bigger now it's pretty rate? Mainstream, or, no? no, but I mean it, it it seems like it's something that's been around forever. And it took a while. I think I think a big part of it was Comedy Central letting them go, you know what? Let's try younger, cooler people. Let's break new comedians. Instead of uh, somebody at the end of their career, how about somebody in the middle or in the beginning like Justin Bieber? And right. to me, it's fun because they're huge targets. I think it's a... People love to see big shots get taken down a notch. And big shots love to be the center of attention, even when there's a target on their chest. So I think it's like perfect culture. It's like what... P TMZ takes people down in a lot of ways, but the roasts, I think, build them up. And lets them own their mistakes. Well, there's and always lets them like reboot that positive twist at the end where you say, kind of like, I know I just beat the shit out of you, but, but you're a really great guy. If, if you I do this, do that. You know? Have you ever been roasted? Yeah, <laughs> I know, like, on these roasts, people make fun of each other, but have you ever been the center of the, the roastee? I've never been roasted. The roastee of oh, honor. What would you oh, think are some good. Oh, no. Oh, you this have to go. Like but <laughs> I'm wondering what would be some topics that you, as a, as a roast, Champion would go after if you had a rose, Jeff Ross. Oh. Not asking specific jokes, but might broad uh, topics that might be covered. I think, I think now that I'm working out so much and look so good, I'd be think it'd be tough to roast me. <laughs> I don't think it would work actually. 
<laughs> it would end just deflect, right? You think I like looking like Bruce Willis if he drowned? <laughs> we, we used to do like comedy cellar. We used to do comedy cellar roasts in the old days, and uh, for like people, and and I would love to do another comedy. Nobody wants to be roasted. We've been well, through this. Uh, SD would be yeah, the I ultimate. I don't think roast. that uh, everybody is 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 up for a roasting. I know. Uh, and I've just looking. got 20 SD jokes just waiting. You have to be a certain... <laughs> if you came to SD or anyone... You can make fun the, of SD's accent, she flips out. <laughs> you can't else? say, hey, you'd be good to roast, let's roast you. That's bullying. Somebody has a birthday. Somebody's retiring. Right. Somebody's leaving town or just got back. You make it a special occasion. Right. They're going to love it and they're going to say yes. Right. But if you go, hey, look at that. She's so whatever. Yeah, let's yeah. That's yeah. not going to fly. She's right. so worthy of being made well, fun I, of. But I don't right. think SD could, hand, could not handle roasting given the way she reacts when I just make fun of her accent, which is not even a big deal. No, she doesn't like that. Well, that was my other question. How do you find, is it hard to find celebrities that want to be roasted? Yes, or not? It is, hard, right? Very hard. Yeah. Because of ego or just not. Yeah, or, I mean, yeah. you have to find somebody who's so made that they can handle it. Right. That there's, that there's enough material that they're they're big enough where they'll draw a good crowd of right. other roasters, and that they can say, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are. Oh, I don't want them to bring up my second marriage, and they, you know, right. they have to be famous enough, I guess, that enough things about them in their life are common knowledge, so people will get the punchlines. Yeah. You don't have to explain to them. The, the situation of this guy's life, they have to know that already, and then you can make a joke about it, right? So right. That, that's a small, that's a small list of people. Occasionally, celebrities will call me or call Comedy Central asking to be roasted, and really? we've always said no because it's never. Who, who, who's I, but the one who called and we said yes was Bieber. He because called and asked to be roasted. It was roasted. his idea. It was good for his career. Yeah, it was I, good for good mine for too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you felt this way. When Geraldo died, and Geraldo was fantastic at the roasts, right? I mean, all his eulogies and stuff and discussion about it, they were calling him a roast comic. What did you think about that? I was proud that uh, he made an impact in those five minutes a year where it was not defining him but was a big asset in his ammo belt. I thought that was super cool. Same goes for Patrice. As a matter of fact... Occasionally, somebody will stop me when I'm on the road and say, how come you don't book Greg Giraldo on the roast anymore? Or how come I don't see Patrice on the next roast? They were fans, so many fans. Maybe not the real core fans that knew them when they were starting, but the roast helped so many people find those guys. Yeah. That they were just figuring them out, just discovering those guys, and they disappeared, which is incredibly sad, but also interesting in that... They were so great at it that people remember them and think of them as still around. Yeah, you know, like Nicholas, uh, our son, he, would, he was like 16, 17. He would watch those roasts like 15, 20 times Who's in a row. Juanita's son. Oh. He, would, he would DVR them, and he would watch them over and over and over and over. He would memorize every single That's joke. That's so cool. Which is, it's quite different than, you know, uh, Judd Apatow was talking about how when he was a kid, he would actually try to write, transcribe, like like a stenographer, SNL skits as they were on because he thought it was a good chance he would never be able to see them again. Wow. So different to process it now. Like if it's on one time, maybe it'll someday be repeat, but otherwise wow. it's, it's gone. No wow. VCRs, no nothing, right? Wow. As opposed to now, you the, just the whole Actually, way great. you watch TV, now you can watch it over and over and over right. and again, which I think allows 
for certain movies in a, in a kind of way to be more complex. Something, you know, like I don't know. Like I began to appreciate The Godfather, for instance, more when I was able to see it more times. Sure. And kind of because it's too much to take in the first time. But you couldn't hope to do that when you first saw it in the movies. Anyway, I wish there was more mystique around these things. You know, so much of it is accessible and reassessible. I do think on that that YouTube that a and... little bit is lost. You know, when the, in the seventies, when a song that you hadn't heard in a while came on the radio. It, it, or in the 80s, right. it, there was a certain elation that you don't get now because any song you can hear anytime, you know, and now maybe overall it's a better thing. No, I'm saying you do lose no, something. I, I got to tell you something, something you said uh, that just reminded me of. Dan Natterman, we were in the car. He said something to me which I've thought about over and over and over again. At the time, I didn't realize it was brilliant, but I actually think it was kind of brilliant. We're sitting in the car. And I have this iPod, and I, I went on, like, BitTorrent sites, and I downloaded entire catalogs of basically every act I could think of, right? And, and it had all these, like, great hits of the 80s collections. So Dan's scrolling through the iPod, and he's, like, playing DJ. And then he's playing this song from the 80s that he loves, and this song from the 80s that he loves. And then he would get halfway through it and change it, and turns to me and says, it's, it's, it's not as good when you can pick it yourself. <laughs> and kind of like, and I, and I say, you know, he's fucking right. When, when you were listening to the radio and the song comes on, somehow it is different than when you can choose the song. So true. It, it's just not as good. How right. about, you what remember saying that? I don't remember saying it, but I, I remember, and I, I, <laughs> but but I, I, remember, belie I remember believing it because it, that is how I feel about it. So anyway, that feeling when something comes on and you go right to the volume button. I, I think it's, the, it's the difference between, um, masturbating and getting a hand job. I think that's quite, kind of what it comes God. down to. <laughs> it's just not the same. Well also, said, well said. <laughs> no, it kind of is the same. Like. Well, also, you're experiencing it with the... When a song comes on the radio, you're experiencing it with the world. And I don't know if, you know, if that has anything to do with it. I don't know. It's just something... Well, when you choose it... something. Like, oh, well, you know, you always heard the... the you always saw that classic scene in, in movies, you know, when the band hears their song on the radio for the first time. Now, now, the one thing you don't experience is the pain of those last few bars of your favorite song as you're flipping channels. And you, and, and it's and like... you missed it. And you missed it. Yeah. Now that's that's something that that pain you know, that pain and suffering every, is 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 attenuated. Everything has changed. We take it for granted. When I was a kid, like I would, I was choosing the Beatles. That's the worst, right? Yeah. When you get you hear na 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 na, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after but, these messages. You know, you know, you know, especially if it was an old song or something you had. You didn't know if you would be able to hear it again for weeks. Right. You know, so I was when I was a kid, I was really into the Beatles, and I would read Beatles books, and there would be some description of some song that the Beatles did. And it'd be on some album, and there would just seem no way to get it. There'd be songs for two years. I'd finally hear some Hank Williams, some song that I've been reading about now. Bum, 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 long and one. No, well, not that one. <laughs> but every single song in the history of man is now like instantly available on our cell phones, for Christ's sake. I know, and this is all trite observations, but it I, it constantly amazes me. I guess to be my age, it's a it, it really. You really, you really feel. Well, we're it. all about the same age, except for, except for a young Kristen, who's, you know, not. She's no sweet sixteen. <laughs> Sorry. So we're we're just about out of time. Did you want to talk about Trump? The oh, man. Trump. But I don't. Are you are you at liberty to talk about Trump since you have a relationship? Uh, what do you want to know? I, I don't want to ask too many questions about Trump. Did, did he really say that Muslims should be? Uh, there should be a database, or was that some sort of misquote? He he's or exaggerated. He's been doing this thing, and he and he was on O'Reilly, and O'Reilly kind of told him to cut it out, and I thought O'Reilly was right where he just uh, passes along or just agrees to what other people are saying. Like, if somebody tweeted some ridiculous thing about black and white statistics, the guy's running for president, he just retweeted it. 
Like, he didn't check it. He didn't even Google it to make sure. And then, of course, it gets attributed to him. And then his, and the, the statistics were totally off. And then he tries to get away from it by saying, well, I just retweeted it. But that's, Irresponsible. Of course. And the same thing with the Muslim thing. The reporter was asking him, do you think they should all have to be registered? Blah, blah, blah. And if you listen to it, it's not even clear whether he really even clicked with him what he was being asked. But he just says, yeah, we got to do that. Like, dude. Don't answer. You're running for president. Like, and that's before he was stepping into it like that with Trump. I was like, you know, there's a lot of things about a, a savvy business guy who knows the real world as, you know, as a business guy myself. I would like a president like that and a guy who obviously does know how to negotiate. And I always figured that a guy who makes really great business deals knows how to shut up and keep his mouth shut because you can't make really but good America's deals. America's not a business deal. It's a democracy. But he doesn't seem to know how to keep his mouth shut now. Well, that's now. his whole shtick. And I don't know if he was always like that. It's hard to believe he could have gotten where he was, where he is, by doing that. So the answer to your question is that he did kind of say it. I mean, he, but he didn't he come hasn't, up with he it. Hasn't he just kind of co-signed it. But he hasn't forcefully and categorically said, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. That's not what I meant I, either. He backed, off the, he backed off the database thing, but then he doubled down on surveillance of mosques. He also puts it without any kind of delicacy or, or any kind of recognition. Listen, I know what I'm saying is controversial and may offend people, but hear me out. This is a problem, and we may have to make some tough choices. Like, no, we're going to have to take a look at those Muslim people. But you that's know? in line with how he's been running his campaign the entire time. I don't see why it would be fake for him to now say, oh, you know what? I'm actually presidential. I should be. I mean, his whole thing is that He's a, a man of the people like we are, and he makes he's, mistakes he's, like we are, and he says what he wants, like he we seemed, would like to say. And He seemed to be more measured in his words in the boardroom on The Apprentice than he seems to be at a presidential well, debate. Interestingly enough, that, those were on prompter. Yeah, exactly. Interestingly oh, enough, those were on prompter. Really? Yeah. Even his remarks? Of course. The reality show. Did he? Was he involved in writing them? I'm sure. Oh. But also, there's censorship. Like, you can't just say... <laughs> so the say reality show's on prompter, but reality is... It, it's it, loose. It's loose. Yeah. Well, you need ratings. But, I mean, there's a whole thing that goes into reality shows. You can't just you can't just say whatever you want. I don't know if it's online, but look up the Trump's rebuttal for his roast. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, actually, I, I was a great joke teller. He has so, great timing. Lisa, or as I call her, Miss USDA... I want you to be a judge at my next Miss Universe pageant. You're perfect because, like the universe, you're constantly expanding and filled with dark matter. But there are some things that have brought shame upon this great land of ours. Besides Lisa, I speak of the atrocities that we as a nation must endure, like the Jersey Shore. A piece of advice, my greasy friend. You don't need to put all of that product in your hair. You just don't. Look how great my hair looks, and I don't use anything. And it looks very good. What's the difference between a wet raccoon and Donald J. Trump's hair? A wet raccoon doesn't have $7 billion in the bank.
He's charismatic, right? You can't take that away from him. Absolutely, and a lot of fun, and very generous. And uh, Alan Dershowitz was here, and he he described Trump as being quite bright. Right. I believe, yeah. So, I don't know. And we always talk about, you know, comedians apologizing for things that they tweet and whatever because they have to, and what if it's right. I mean... I agree you know, with Trump you have that to. We, we're, we're too sensitive. Yeah. And the PC culture, you know, everyone's like, well, comedians have to tone it down. No, the world needs to toughen up a little right. bit. Well, you know, exactly. it's a tough world. Apropos of that, I, I just want to say that since the uh, the uh, attacks in France, and this, this show will be airing, I guess, first week in December, but anyway, it's still r- fresh. I haven't heard a lot of comedians go there since those attacks. And I, w- I would think that uh, part of me thinks that's kind of a shame because, you know... You got any good friends jokes, Dan? I, I, I tried to come up with something where I was like, yeah, you know, I don't have any good. I was trying to, like, make the point that, well, with the reason we're so, that France is, is more important to us than, say, the tax in Beirut is because we have cultural ties and historical ties to France. Now, why Cesar Lyon was so important, I don't know. Eh. Which wasn't really that good. good Way to joke, bring but, up but, a terrorist attack and say nothing. But, but um, <laughs> You punch up his jokes, Joe. Um, I, I didn't want to go there either. But that's not the kind of comedy I generally do. But but I didn't see anybody going there. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure somebody will soon enough. And if I remember if Chris funny. Rock after uh, 9/11, 9/11, I think it was that week, if not the next week, he went up and said, "He said, okay, what's going on? Only one thing going on." <laughs> and then he did uh, uh, proceeded to then do a half hour of uh, jokes about 9/11. But I, I didn't see any anybody similarly. He tacking. wouldn't see it as jokes about 9/11. He would see his social commentary well, about what's happening. Okay, in the moment. but with with humoristic content. Right. He did say, for example, and he repeated this joke more recently on SNL. He said, "They better build a World Trade Tunnel." Because <laughs> I ain't working there. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But but as he did that like a, the week of 9/11, I think he did it recently on SNL too. That was simultaneously they, a really good Chris Rock and racist Dan. I got to tell you, the best ever was uh, David Tell here. Around the back to Dave. And then first, uh, when there was a terrorist attack in the parking garage at the World Trade Center in the m- mid-90s, um, it was big news downtown. There had never been a terrorist attack on a New York. It was a huge ground shaking, literally, figuratively, here in the yeah. village. And Attell went on late and said, somehow referenced something and said, now maybe they'll take me seriously. <laughs> <laughs> he basically took credit for the terrorist attack. That was a, the first, that was the quickest oh, I'd ever heard. God. Jeff, I wanted to ask you about that movie, but maybe uh, another time. Another the Comedian. Time. I hope it's a big hit. Robert De Niro and Jennifer Aniston. Nice. Gonna Ro- be cool. Uh, there's so many things about comedy now between sitcoms and Judd Apatow's pilot. And, and and this movie with De Niro, I don't know if what this signals. Made. De Niro's been coming down here to see Jeff Ross uh, quite a few times. He came down here to see Jeff Ross, and apparently there's a movie in the making. But we'll wait for that. All right, we have we have run out of time. This is so much fun, you guys. Oh, it's good uh, to have you. Well, then you'll come back when I, the movie comes. I, I, in. I hope you'll go before that. That'd be great. Prior that. I love the olive tree. Love the comedy cellar. Thanks for always making me feel at home, you guys. Oh. And well, thank thank you, Jeff. Thank you for honest. I'm not gonna. I don't want to get. I don't want to cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, thank you, Jeff. Well, you said some nice things the other night, yeah. too, and I appreciate it. Of course, buddy. Um, and thank you, Kristen. Thank You're still married, right, Kristen? You know, Kristen yeah, got married. Still married. Congratulations. Oh, thank thank you. you look lovely. It's her first Thanksgiving uh, as, a, as a wife. Ah. That's true. Are you going to make a turkey? That's true. No, I'm going to my parents. Thank you.
All right. I love Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all your... Well, I think this is going to be airing a week after Thanksgiving. John Oliver... Fuck Thanksgiving. (laughs) John Oliver said that uh, the... um, It's a holiday about the only group of people who really should have been afraid of refugees. (laughs) 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 All right, on that note, good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs) 